Welcome into this month's episode of the Power Alley. I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. A lot has gone on in the baseball world since the last time we chatted. The Boston Red Sox are the 2018 world champions. Also, the Toronto Blue Jays have installed a new manager as Charlie Montoyo has taken over the reins of the Blue Jays. Coming up on this month's episode, we'll check in with Keegan Matheson, the editor of Baseball Toronto, to get his first impressions of the new Blue Jay manager and also what he thinks some of the biggest offseason needs are for Toronto heading into 2019. But first, we check in with the general manager of the Buffalo Bisons, Mike Butchkowski. As there's always a Bisons connection, including in the 2018 playoffs to the 2018 World Series MVP, and also one of the most infamous moments in Bison baseball history and its connection to Charlie Montoyo. Bison fans will recognize the name from his time, not only as a manager, but as a player, too, through the AAA ranks. Yeah, most recently a manager for the Durham Bulls for a number of years, I think six or seven years. And I think every year he managed, it looked like they were in first place every time I checked the standings. Uh, always had a winning team. Uh, you know, his teams... Uh, when you watch the Durham Bulls play, when Charlie was the manager, they always played aggressive. They played smart. Uh, they they were just always a tough team to beat, um, you know. And and I think a lot of that uh, certainly is talent, but it's also uh, a credit, I think, to to the leadership of that of that team. And Charlie provided that. Uh, my my first uh, encounter, I guess, with Charlie goes all the way back to 1991. Uh, we were in the American Association famous game that took place at, at Mile High Stadium in Denver uh, when the Denver Zephyrs were, were in the league with us. Uh, it was the championship series. Uh, we had won the first two games of the best of five in Buffalo, went to Denver for the next three, needing to win one, one game to uh, clinch, and uh, lost the first game there. The second game, uh, very famous game, we were down eight to nothing going to the top of the ninth inning and being no hit not not a single hit losing eight nothing uh we get a hit we get a walk we get a home run we get another hit we get it and unbelievably we are in this game you know it went from a no hitter to a double down the left field line and greg edge i'll never forget it is running a fast runner from first base and he is rounding third base would look like he's going to score the tying run and the ball comes out of the left field corner uh, and I was standing there I couldn't I couldn't see behind me where the ball was I could only look forward and see Greg Edge rounding third and the ball is still not coming and I'm thinking we're going to tie this game up suddenly the ball comes out of left field Mickey Brantley to Charlie Montoyo the cutoff man who was a shortstop for for the Zephyrs and it was almost as if Charlie never even caught the ball. It was like he just grabbed it and 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 threw it home. Their catcher was Joe Kamak uh, at the time. Play at the plate. Uh, our runner edge is called out, and we lose. It's the final out of the game. Lose the game, uh, and do not win Game Five the next day. They win three in a row and and beat us. But it was it was known as the play, and our good friend Pete Weber uh, had great play-by-play, assuming he was safe and he was called out, he couldn't believe it. You know, he kept, oh, I can't believe they called him out. They called him out. And the game was over. There was chaos. And uh, uh, and I would run into, uh, you know, Charlie and Joe Kamak for years later. Kamak, the catcher, would always say, we wouldn't even say hi. He'd walk by me and he'd say he was out. And I'd say, Joe, he was safe. And 
the only time, the only person I enjoyed talking to was Charlie Montoyo because he said, I don't know, from where I was, it looked like you could have been safe. I said, you know, Charlie, that's why I like you because you're, <laughs> you're objective. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, some time ago and a play that I'll never forget. An inf infamous play that really for the next seven years until the Bisons would win the American Association that really would go down as, you know, one of those moments. It was just within grasp. Yeah. If, if this was Major League Baseball that we were playing, it would rank right up there with no goal and wide right and, and you know, any of the other unfortunate uh, pl plays that have happened to Buffalo sports teams. And uh, But it, it was an amazing game, uh, but the way it ended was, uh, was just terrible for us. And that momentum they had of making that play carry to the next day, we, I, I think we were down about four runs after two innings the next day and never really had a chance to win. So, uh, yeah, so Charlie uh, Montoyo and the boys uh, beat us then, and then he came to manage in Durham and beat us, it seemed like, for a long time a long time there, but he is a, a really a great person. I know fans that have read about Charlie. He is one of the genuinely nice people in baseball. People just love Charlie. I think that's part of why his teams are successful. His players love him. They play for him. Uh, and uh, it'll be great that, that he's now involved uh, with the Blue Jays organization with us and, and leading the way up in Toronto. And as we've seen with some of the prospects who are now in Toronto, having a manager like that can really help maybe even in the win column, but just in the clubhouse and just getting the most out of his players day in and day out. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I think the Blue Jays are, you know, entering a, a, a period here where uh, they're going to have a lot of young people in the big leagues. And anytime you have that, you'll hear general managers and, and leaders of baseball say that, you know, development doesn't stop when you get to the big leagues, especially when you're a young player. It really should probably never stop. But especially when you have young players, you know, you need to, to keep, uh, developing the goal is not to get to the big leagues the goal is to get to the big leagues stay in the big leagues and be successful in the big leagues and when you're a young player you're still really not a finished product just because you're you're in the big leagues and I think a guy like Charlie and and the coaches that I'm sure he's going to surround himself with are are going to be focused on that and and I think it's going to lead to to some exciting times for the Jays we talk about prospects that are in the big leagues like Ryan Barucki and others but there's a lot of prospects that made their mark in double A this past season, Bison fans might look towards. And we talked about it going into 2018. The future was bright in terms of prospects who came to Buffalo. And now next year, looks like we could have some more that uh, really played well in New Hampshire. Yeah, and the New Hampshire team won the double A Eastern League Championship. Uh, you know, we got to see the prospect at the end of the year, Vlad Jr. Uh, in Buffalo. Who we didn't get to see was Bichette, who was a 19-year-old, going to turn 20-year-old shortstop who is, I think, ranked the second best prospect in the Jays organization, the son of Dante. You know, and then you look at uh, Craig Biggio's son, Caven Biggio, had a great year for them as well. Uh, when I talk to scouts that come into Buffalo that have, that have been to the New Hampshire game, they talk about the arms, you know, that are going to be coming up through. And, you know, and this is a Blue Jays plan. You know, this is what Mark Shapiro and, and Ross Atkins and, and Ben Charrington envisioned is a – uh, almost like a conveyor belt of prospects moving through. We'll get them in Buffalo. They're going to get to the big leagues hopefully and do well, and then the next wave of, of guys are going to come up. And uh, that hasn't been the case, you know, in, in most recently with the Jays organization with the amount of trades they made and the different things they, done, they did in trying to win um, uh, a World Series. But uh, so now we'll get Bo Bichette, we get Caven Biggio, you know, we're going to get some of the arms, and, and hopefully that's just the beginning of – of a, of a flow of players reminiscent of our days with the Cleveland Indians when Mark Shapiro was, uh, was leading the way there. So we're, lo we're looking forward to getting that train started, that prospect train started. 
you'll leave me right in my next question is, you know, if we think back to the days, the glory days here at the ballpark, and Mark Shapiro's groups always put an emphasis on winning as you went up the organizational ladder because that builds success to the big leagues. And it, do you get that feeling that that's exactly what the Blue Jays are trying to build right now? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, they had success in the lower levels as well last year. And, and, um, and you know, Mark has always said for as long as I've known him for however long it's been, 20 over 20 years, that, you know, learning to win is just as important as learning, you know, how to play the game. I mean, it's great that you learn the fundamentals and you're learning how to, to play your position, you're learning how to hit, but learning to win uh, is, is, you know, something that is important, I think, in the development of a player. Uh, we've seen, you've seen, everybody as a baseball fan, you've seen guys that, and sometimes teams that look on paper to have tremendous talent, but they don't win. You know, there's something missing there, and I think in any sport you see that. That you know, it's that's why they say you play the games because on paper the teams on the paper don't win games, and a lot of times it's the intangibles and it's the little things you do and it's the desire to win and and to, to go beyond maybe what you're comfortable in doing. And if it's in baseball, it might be taking a chance on the bases. It might be, you know, doing something that's going to uplift your team to uh, to win championships because uh, they want to do it in in, in uh, the minor leagues, of course, but in the big leagues, it's all it's about. You know, you don't get credit for having the most talented team. You have cre you get credit for winning championships. Yeah, it might be a, a, seem like a long time ago now that the snow is starting to fall here that the World Series and the playoffs are just past us. I think to all the different players and coaches that were took part in the playoffs this year that had Bison's ties, and folks might not know that. The World Series managing or World Series manager spent time here, and the World Series MVP was here just a couple months ago. Yeah, that you know, Steve Pierce uh, being here on rehab during the season, and and I remember when he was here. You know, he, he uh, uh, was coming back obviously from an injury. Uh, I think he was unsure of what his future was going to be. I think he probably figured that he'd be a player that could be moved by the Jays to a to a contending team. It was probably exciting to him and. You know, and he lands in Boston where he grew up or rooted for the Red Sox, ends up being the, the MVP of the World Series. And, and uh, we've had that happen before a few times, I think. And, but it, it's, it's, that's the exciting part about minor league baseball, knowing at any time when you come to a game, you could be watching a guy that in a couple of months could end up having a major impact. I remember the days when Jarrett Wright pitched here and had unbelievable success moving up and pitched in that World Series that year, the 97 World Series for, for the Indians. And if not for the Game 7 loss, he's probably the MVP of the World Series. He pitched that well, you know, but uh, it didn't work out for the Tribe. But, yeah, that's great. And, and, and Dave Roberts, you know, if I had to make a list of my top ten guys, great guys that played here, he'd be on that list for sure. He'd be, he'd be right near the top. Uh, um, and uh, he fell short again. He's been there twice now, and I feel bad for David, but they did have, they did have a great season, especially after the start the Dodgers have. So, and Alex Cora, the winning manager, spent a little bit of time, I think only a few games as a bison on rehab. Uh, we didn't get to know him nearly as well as, as David Roberts, but we were talking earlier, go back to the Brewers and Eric Kratz, you know, a guy who was in our clubhouse wondering if this is it for him, you know, and that was a couple years ago. Is this it? Am I at the end of my ropes, you know, and suddenly he's leading the Brewers almost to the promised land. And and uh, Justin Turner, another one who played here, you know, back in back in the day, one of the one of the stars for the Dodgers uh, had a, another great season. So, yeah, it's always fun uh, to root 
along the way during the season for former Bisons because there's so many, either managing, coaching, or, or, or playing. But then when you get to the World Series, and you know guys, you know, it, it, it's, it's different. I, you know, it's no secret I grew up a Red Sox fan my, my whole life. Carl Yastrzemski and the Red Sox, and I lived through my, my heartaches as a kid. Um, uh, but it's strange now when I watch baseball, while I still am, you know, there's something in my heart for the Red Sox. There always will be, and certainly root for the Blue Jays whenever they play. But you watch games, and, and people will say to me, who are you rooting for? And I'll say, nah, really not either team. I'm rooting for that guy because he pitched for us, and I'm rooting for this guy when he comes up because, he, you know, he played third base for us. So uh, when you have that personal connection, uh, it really makes it that much more fun to watch. When fans come to the ballpark next year, they'll be coming to Salem Field, uh, part of a multi-year uh, agreement and a great partnership that is already building towards the future with Salem. And can you just talk a little bit about um, the partnership both before and, and now going forward? Yeah, you know, that we've been longtime partners with, with uh, the Salem Packing Company and Joe Salem and, and his son Joseph uh, have been great partners uh, you know, there's no stronger food connection to baseball than hot dogs. And we're fortunate in Buffalo to have a hot dog that is unbelievably popular, not only here, but now has the rest of the rest of the United States are starting to find out how good the Salem's hot dogs are. And they're, they're shipping hot dogs now all over to grocery stores in the south and the southeast and out west. And, and, and they're really growing. Um, you know, I, I told the story at the press conference when it be, when it, the news became public that we were going to be seeking a new naming rights partner, the very first people that called was Salem. And uh, I remember not being in the office, getting a call from Anthony Sprague, our assistant GM, saying, well, we got our first call about Namir. I said, oh, you know, who is it? And he said, Salem. Salins. And I said, holy, wouldn't that be great? You know, I remember thinking that it's almost too good to be true, you know. And, and you know, we were a long way away from an agreement at that point. And you, you, I'd like to dream that, yeah, it would come true. And then as we talked to them and, and learned even more about what a great company they are. They're a family-owned business, much like our our company is. Uh, they're in the food business, much like our company. Uh, you know, have always been in Buffalo and headquartered in Buffalo, much like our company. Uh, they believe in the same the same principles. So it was not only a, a perfect match, uh, you know, on the on that side of it, but then the hot dogs and, and baseball, what goes better? And uh, so we're going to be very proud to have the name Salem Field up uh, as we put the signs up. Probably in the next couple of months, people will start to see the signage going up. Uh, we've met with them a number of times to figure out now what other fun things can we do for the fans with promotions, whether it's in-game promotions or deals we can offer. And, and uh, um, it, you know, we, we schedule about an hour for those meetings, and in an hour and 15 minutes we're sitting there going, holy cow, we're already over 15 minutes, and we still have ideas. So we're going to continue to refine those and, and so much looking forward to the long term partnership with the Salem family. And for folks that want to come out to Salem Field next year, they can go to bisons.com and really start to, to plan out how they want to spend their summer here at the ballpark. Yeah, you know, I think it's very therapeutic when you look out your window and snow is flying and it's cold and it's windy to take a look at baseball and remember that uh, although we have the long winter ahead, right after that, right after, you know, our, our reward is that spring will be here and baseball will be here. Uh, we've uh, already put up the information for next year on various ticket packages that, that fans can purchase. Always can check bisons.com. We've tweaked some of the, the packs that we've had in the past. We've added some new packs. We're going to be adding another one. 
the one that's going to be at the forefront though, will be our holiday packs, which we've been doing for a number of years. Fans get uh, three different options, three different price points to uh, pick up tickets and merchandise and different combinations of things that make for great uh, Christmas and holiday uh, holiday gifts. Uh, but you can also look and, uh, and, and look at the packages that will take you into next summer. We already know the dates for, of course, July 3rd with the BPO and our Star Wars Day and our, our Superhero Day, our, our, our big promotions. And uh, uh, they make for great gifts this time of the year. And why not get locked in and, uh, you know, and then keep, keep those tickets where you can look at them every day. You, know, you can look out and see the snow and then look at your baseball tickets and, and uh, count the days down to opening day along with us. I can't wait for April 4th. Thanks for a few minutes of your time today, Mike. Okay, Pat, thanks. Welcome back into the Power Alley. Right now we're joined by the editor of Baseball Toronto, Keegan Matheson, for a couple of minutes. And first of all, Keegan, uh, thanks for joining us here today. Hope the offseason has been treating you well so far. Well, I'm happy to, Pat. Yeah, it's good to have a... A few days down, but uh, it's picked up again recently. You always think it's going to be uh, not a vacation, but you think it's going to be quiet, and then the uh, the GM meetings and free agency always sneaks up. So it's uh, good to be back into it. And for the Blue Jays, maybe the biggest question in the off season was answered pretty quickly during the World Series, even uh, when they announced that Charlie Montoyo would be the new manager of the team. And that's where I'd kind of like to start here today. First of all, from what you've seen so far in the introductory press conference, what are your thoughts on Charlie Montoyo and now taking over the managerial role of the Blue Jays? Well, it makes a lot of sense based on what Ross Atkins said leading into it. Now, the Blue Jays really admire the Rays and the Astros, especially among teams, for their analytic approach, uh, but not how they do analytics, not, not the analytics that they're running but how they communicate that onto the field. And that's an area that a lot of teams are struggling with or, or trying to get better at right now. How do you communicate the fancy stats to players, especially veteran players who maybe didn't grow up with it? So getting a guy from Tampa Bay makes sense for the Blue Jays and also his experience. I mean, managing in AAA for those eight seasons, but also having that development background. So he's going to be coaching. He's going to be writing the lineup each day like John Gibbons did. But what he's going to have to do that Gibby didn't is develop, is go out there and manage young players every day, whereas you know, John Gibbons is more just uh, lining up the same group of you know, 30, 32-year-olds who know what they're doing. So finding a guy with experience on both sides of development and also managing it lines up logically for the Blue Jays, and uh, everybody you talk to is tripping over themselves, really, to, to say nice things about Charlie Montoyo. So it's uh, been a good first impression. Yeah, that's one of the things that really has struck me. And myself personally, I didn't really know Charlie when he was managing with Durham, um, our paths would cross. But just seeing how many people around baseball, period, um, are happy for him to finally get this opportunity, a baseball lifer, and to finally be a manager is, is one of those things that really, it just makes you feel good knowing that so many around baseball respect him that much. It does. And I, I think you can, you can relate this to any industry that you're working in. If you see somebody who kind of stuck it out and they weren't really that rising star immediately, they didn't get that big job right away, uh, you know, at, at age 35, but Charlie Montoyo stuck it out and he adapted, I think, which is really the important part. He, adapted to the modern game he changed with it 
And now that he has stuck that out and stayed relevant, he gets this job. And that's a big reason why you're seeing such an outpouring of respect from around the game for him, uh, because he, he stayed involved in that and made himself eligible and qualified definitely for this job. So from players to you know former uh, you know people who coached with him in the minor leagues, the major leagues, you're hearing a lot of the same thing, and that is going to translate into a locker room. I, I think the most interesting thing, Pat, that Ross Atkins said is that you're dealing now with millennials in, in the locker room, and I know that's a buzzword that some people gloss over, but when you treat it just for what it is, their age group, you're dealing with younger players. They may not take as well to a an old-school manager. Maybe they need somebody who is going to empathize with them, get on their level, meet them where they are. And I think people skills right now with the, the next wave of players, it's going to be more important than it has been. And something I want to touch on with you here as well is I know it was asked pretty early on uh, in the press conference with Charlie Montoya. Look, he comes from the Rays organization, so automatically people start to think, well, are, are the Blue Jays now going to adopt the opener role? Are they going to be more like, the the raise in many respects and i think at least for, from from what i how i interpreted what what was said is not necessarily take that same path because every team's 25 man roster is different and for charlie montoya to be figuring out the 25 man roster that ross atkins in the front office give him and then figure out what the best course of action through analytics and through seeing players in action and and figuring those pieces it sounds very flexible, I think, from the beginning, where they're going to take this very open, uh, which is a good thing. And he said, you know, if you have a slow team, you don't run. That's how it works, and uh, they're not going to try to force anything. One thing that stood out that he did say was that they're going to try to win every game immediately. From day one, they're going to try to win every game. And when you hear that, you say, of course, but really looking around Major League Baseball, Every team is not trying to win every game as hard as they possibly can. When you look at teams selling off valuable assets, when you look at teams you know, like we have saw here this year, starting a veteran catcher at shortstop for a game, is that your best chance at winning? Probably not. But what that does look like is what the Rays did this year. Since the reality of their roster wasn't great, they worked around it. They found some relievers. They used the opener strategy. They had some flexible guys on their infield moving around there. So that is what it looks like to try to win every game no matter what. You make it work. You don't just throw out that starter with a 70 ERA again. You try some relievers. You try to work around it. So that might have been a bit of a clue, but I think we're going to see a much more open, a more flexible day-to-day roster and strategy. Keegan Matheson, the editor of Baseball Toronto, joins us here in the Power Alley. How has the fan base in Toronto received Charlie Montoyo since his inaugural press conference? So far, so good. I think there will be kind of a case like we saw when Kendrick Morales replaced Edwin Encarnacion. No matter what you do, you're not the old guy. And, of course, people loved John Gibbon so much in Toronto. He, he became one of the ultimate rarities in sports, which is a, a manager who you know, lost a job and was losing on the way out, but was really beloved by fans because, you know, Blue Jays fans are are very smart baseball fans. I think they realized it wasn't exactly on him last season, to put it lightly. Mm -hmm. So he went out with a great deal of fanfare. Charlie Montoyo, I I think people will see a lot of the same in him that they see in John Gibbons. You know, Gibby was more laid back, uh, more went unspoken perhaps, but Charlie Montoyo, I think, is a 
a fan-friendly manager. I think when you see him in the media, in the press, it's going to be stuff that communicates well, and it's going to be a, a good relationship there, at least starting out, and we'll see how the wins and losses go. And now that the manager's role has been defined and who, who it will be, he's filling out his coaching staff, uh, it turned onto the field, and what are maybe the biggest question marks you have this offseason for the front office to address, whether it be, uh, you know, putting uh, a rotation together or um, just mixing in certain uh, extra pieces? What, what do you see as the biggest uh, needs for the Blue Jays this winter? Right now, I think it's how they handle this infield logjam that they're going to have, because that question answers the rest. But the answer to that question is probably going to answer some pitching questions, because when we met with Ross Atkins after the season, he said, you know, very straightforward, we need to turn some of this infield depth into pitching. We have a lot of one and too little of the other. So it kind of lines up pretty easy for the Blue Jays this offseason. Now, Brandon Drury, you look at having Diaz there. Solarte looks like a non-tender, but Tulewitzki, Devin Travis, then Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette coming up. You know, Vlad early in the season, maybe Bichette by midseason or later on. So there's too much there, and that's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing, but how aggressively are the Blue Jays going to try to deal that for pitching, and how are they going to use that as an asset, uh, I think, from day one? These things have a way of working themselves out, of course, with injuries or underperformance. But the Blue Jays can really afford to deal one or two of those pieces, and that will help them out financially as well if they're able to make the right deal. But I think everything starts with that. And if, by the sounds of it, the Jays really are targeting that trade market first before they go out and just spend cash. And, you know, it was interesting to me to see a guy like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in 2018 and just his – development or maturation it seemed like on a daily basis how when he first came to Buffalo he we we all knew he was going to be a good player because of um, whether it be his family history in baseball or um, you know just, just how he's played uh, early in his career to this point but how he sort of commanded the infield here in Buffalo and then that translated um, in the second half of the season with the Blue Jays um, to me was, was a, uh, a not a revelation but one of those bright spots in a season that didn't see as many as maybe people had hoped. Yeah, tremendous raw talent, and especially with his body being a, a bigger, a bit of a taller infielder, the, the talent is there. Now, is he going to master the, the nuance and the day-to-day -day duties of being a shortstop? I'm not sure. We'll see. Or does he turn into more of a super utility? There's a lot of ways he can be valuable. But you would see it in those flashes where he would be moving to the third base side, pick the ball, and flick his wrist just across the body. He has that natural athleticism and a big arm that when he flashes it, it really stands out. You notice it and you see it, which is something the Blue Jays did not have very much of at shortstop last year. The shortstop position, you know, one of, if not the most important, they really did not do well there in terms of defensive value, in terms of offensive production. So Gurriel is going to keep getting opportunities there. I think he'll be moved around and stretched a bit as well, but that's a piece you love to have because as Bouchette, as Guerrero comes up, as all of these prospects come up, if they really hit and if they click, Gurriel can be that piece that you move around them and you fit in in different places. So I think his value even exceeds his individual value. I think he can make some other players better as well. 
We're talking to Keegan Matheson here, and I look at the pitching staff and how young it could be going into 2019, Keegan. Um, is there an impetus to, to bring somebody in, maybe even bring back a guy like Jay Happ, a, a veteran pitcher who can work with guys like Ryan Barucki or Sean Reed Foley throughout the course of 2019 and, and help the younger pitchers uh, develop into uh, valuable big league pieces? You'd love to have that. And even last offseason, there was briefly chatter about C.C. Sabathia, who's now back in New York to finish his career. But when you can have that veteran who is not just a veteran, you know, just being 35 isn't enough. They have to be a good influence and, and someone that is going to work with those young players. Jay Happ absolutely is that great clubhouse guy. So I think the Blue Jays want to find something like that. Are they going to look to the trade market? Is something like a Sonny Gray going to be that reality? Maybe a guy they can flip at the deadline again. But last year, the Jays tried to do that with Jaime Garcia. Did not work at all. But I think you try that same thing, to get a veteran guy who's been around, who can give you 180, maybe 200 innings, because you need that consistency. You know, Aaron Canchez and Marcus Stroman have all the talent in the world, but the reality is it hasn't been there lately. The health has not been there lately. So I think we still talk about both of them almost like they're still prospects, like they're old prospects who are just about to click. But we need to live in reality and know that the last few years they have not been those workhorse front-of-rotation starters. So the Jays need to protect themselves. Every year you're going to go through your eight or ten starters, but they need a couple of solid, guaranteed major leaguers, I think, in that rotation. Well, Keegan, I appreciate your time here today. Uh, for folks that want to follow along uh, the offseason and as 2019 uh, ramps up, how can they follow uh, your work at Baseball Toronto? Well, you can find it at BaseballToronto.com. It'll be running all through the offseason. We have our prospect reports coming out, which eventually lead into a book, winter meetings coverage. So it, it always stays busier than I think, so we'll have lots there. And you can follow me on Twitter, just at my name, Keegan Matheson. Well, Keegan, thanks for your time here today. Looking forward to catching up again, and best of luck this winter into 2019. You got it, Pat. Thank you. That'll put a wrap on this month's podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. Look forward to checking in with you next month in the Power Alley.